You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Well, we have been reading through Paul's letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy of these letters in the New Testament. And the thing we've been considering in these, uh, these two letters is how it is that we're supposed to live on God's grace on a daily basis. How do our lives actually function on God's grace? Not just as some sort of like concept. We know God's really gracious and really kind and he gives us gifts, but does that mean anything? Does that change anything for my life? How do I live on this? This morning, we're gonna be looking at power. If you were paying attention to that letter in Timothy, it, it was a theme, a very strong theme in our reading from this morning. But I wanna begin with a question for us as we consider this. If you were given all the power that you really desired right now, the power that you wish you had, if you were given all of that power, what would you do with it? Maybe it's at work, man, if they would just promote me or if they would just let me do my job, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in a relationship, If you had all the power that you need, what would you do with that power? How would you exercise it? Maybe if you were an elected official, you would finally be the first person to use power the way it should be used, right? Or maybe if if you were finally in charge, you were the executive, you were the vice president, you were the boss, you would finally lead the way that it needs to be done. You would do it right. And finally, maybe if you were ordained and you became a church leader, you would really lead the church the way it needs to be led. Not Sean, like, come on, he's doing a great job, but I could do so much better. Wherever we are, right? I mean, that's fine. I, I don't do, I'm not like that perfect or anything. But whatever, whatever we're looking to in terms of leadership and power in these positions, we tend to have a posture toward power that's often suspicious or critical. And in, packaged in that is this assumption that we actually know how to do this. Or we could do it so much better. And you, you might actually do this so much better. Here's what I want to ask, though. If you were given all that power, would you do so much better? Are you the kind of person whose inner life is capable of having that kind of power and trusting God to use that power in the most life-giving ways, not only for just yourself, but even more importantly for others? Would you be the kind of person capable of administering God's power in those positions of leadership? We all could, I could hand out paper, we could all write a list of people or positions in the world that we could say, this is where power is being used badly. Like we, we all... We are experts in being able to identify bad power, right? We could do this all day long. And we all, I know, wish that we had even more power in our own lives to exercise and use our own agency in certain circumstances. And we all think, probably, that the way we would use power would be the best way to use power. We have all these assumptions. I think we can say that. But the thing is, I've never met someone who has been empowered, who has a position of leadership, who does it really well, that hasn't first done very careful, long, hard work on their own inner life, on their own soul. The best leaders I've ever met, people like our bishop, Todd Hunter, if you've never met him, he's an amazing person. What's amazing about him isn't that he has a purple shirt and we call him bishop and he has a ton of power. What is amazing about him is that he has done the work of the soul, inspecting the kind of person he is actually becoming, 
And a person like that uses power in a very beautiful way. Like last week, we talked about money as actually not being the problem, but the love of money. This week, we're talking about power. It's not power the problem, actually. It's the people who are using the power that need the work, right? So this is what we're going to learn from St. Paul this morning as we look at his letter to Timothy, his second letter, considering power and asking, can the grace of God transform us into the kinds of people that use power well? Y'all tracking with me on that question? Can the grace of God heal my soul, my desires, my motivations? Can I become the kind of person who's truly grateful to God for his gifts so that when I'm given power, I can use it in the most wonderful life-giving ways? Why listen to Paul? Of all people, why listen to this guy from the first century who is writing this letter in prison? It's interesting, isn't it? Someone who has been um, put in prison by powers maybe greater than him, he's writing to Timothy about power. Why listen to Paul? Well, apart from Christ, Paul and Peter are considered some of the most powerful leaders in church history and perhaps even in world history. Their movements survived the Roman Empire, which is no small thing. It has withstood, this movement, every major world crisis and world war. It has outlasted every rival power on earth to this day. And yet their example of power, Peter and Paul and even Jesus, is radically different than every other figure of history that has possessed leadership and power. The example that we have from them is is really strikingly different, isn't it? We get a hint of this as Paul writes this second letter to Timothy, rattling his chains while dictating a letter, I'm sure, talking about God's power. I want to look at the opening of this letter, verse 1. We typically skim over this part, but I think this is actually really interesting. Look at what Paul, how Paul introduces himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. We usually just kind of like blow through that, right? Let's get to the good stuff. But this is super important for us. Uh, the way that Paul opens his letter isn't just some sort of like rote greeting that he just spills out. But it's part of the message that he's conveying. Verse 1, he says that he is an apostle. Someone set aside by God for the work of the gospel in leading the church. The apostles for us are what we'd call bishops even today. Paul was one of these early church bishops, these apostles. And listen to what he was set aside to do. He was given a great deal of power for what? The sake of the, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. His sense of leadership and power was to serve God's purposes, not his own. You notice that? I have been set aside, not for my own, my own agenda, but for the purposes of God. So Paul continues saying in verse 4 that he recalls Timothy's tears. He's reminded of his sincere faith, which did you notice um, Timothy was given this faith by these women in his family, these godly women that we know very little about. But even Timothy has been empowered by these mothers of the faith in his own life, investing in him, giving him this faith. And encouraging it and cultivating it. Even Paul knows this and is reminded of it. 
And in Timothy, it has grown to be his own sincere faith. And in verse 5, then he urges Timothy to remember one thing. Given all of this, given who I am, given where your faith has come from in your own family, I want you to remember one thing, Timothy. Look at verse 6. He reminds Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is, that is within you through the laying on of my hands. What Paul's likely talking about here is um, the ordination of Timothy into the ministry in the church by the laying on of hands, or at least inviting the Holy Spirit to fall upon Timothy and empower him for the ministry that he is undertaking. This is an exchange of power that's happening here. The laying on of hands has old Jewish roots for sure, but in the New Testament, it is a distinct bestowal of the Spirit's power. We see it in baptism, chrismation, confirmation. When you go through catechism, the bishop comes and you all come forward. He lays hands on you and he calls on the Spirit's power upon you. We even see the laying on of hands in the Eucharist. When the celebrant, myself, you watch today, I'll actually put my hands over the bread and the wine and call upon the Holy Spirit to empower um, this sacrament for us. Sometimes when we do healing prayer, you see the laying on of hands. Isn't it interesting, time out, that God uses human hands to convey his spirit's power, to call upon his help, and to empower us. It's really interesting. What a mystery that God uses us to pray in his name, to call for his grace, to be administered on people and on things. Today even, we're, we're praying God's blessing on animals later. It's interesting, isn't it, that God uses us to bless but this is just, whether you understand it or not, whether that makes sense to us modern folks or not, we have to get that this is just the way God decides to administer power. It's just the way he decides to convey power. He's not confined to the laying on of hands. God can do whatever God wants to do, but he certainly does this and he calls for people to do this. This is the way that he conveys power through us and for his purposes. That's always the way it works. God's power is a gift. And if we're really going to understand what Paul's getting at, we have to understand that God's power is a gift. Kind of like money we talked about last week, a gift to be stewarded well. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn God's power. We don't earn his grace or his favor. We don't earn God's provision for us in our lives. We don't need to earn it because God is so happy to give it. Power is gift to be stewarded so well. What this tells us about power, if God gives it so readily, is that power doesn't need to be grabbed either, does it? We don't have to come and take it for ourselves, though I know I'm touching on a nerve of like Texas history. I totally get this. <laughs> the way God give, gives power is based on generosity and abundance and grace. And, and the way that we use power so often is based on a fear of a lack of power, needing to grab hold of it before someone else does so that we can get done what we need to get done. Power grabbing believes the opposite about grace, actually, and is totally motivated in the guts by fear. And it buys into the myth that you can do whatever it takes to get that thing done. Whatever it takes. Whoever you have to trample, trample them. I got to get this done. That is the way the world uses power, and that's totally different than the way the Lord uses power, the way his apostles use power, the way Paul is teaching us even how to use power. The world may use power as a means to an end, to say, to say that briefly. And if you're guilty of this, which we all are 
I'll just say, we can repent. We can actually decide to not use power that way. You may think, well, in the real world, Jonathan, if you really want to get stuff done, that's just the way you got to be a jerk sometimes. Can I just tell you, you don't? Look at Jesus. You don't believe me. Look at Jesus. Did he ever have to be a jerk? Did he ever have to use people as a means to an end? Did he ever have to manipulate or coerce to get things done? And look what he got done. Come on, talk to me. That's power. If you don't believe Jesus, I'm not sure where you're going to find a better example of leadership and power in all of human history. And if we are not using power the way that he is, y'all, we can repent. We can say, Lord, we know that what you're doing is so much better. I know what I've been doing is not. Reorient your heart around the God who gives to you power. All the power that you need, in fact. And this power that God gives, it isn't timid, it isn't self-conscious, it isn't insecure, it's not easily threatened, but it's something way more stable, way more bold, actually. Listen to this in verse 7, the way Paul talks about this power that God gives. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the way this power works that God gives. Now, up until this point, I hope you all are tracking with Paul in, in these two letters that we've been reading. In both letters, his message has been super basic, pretty simple. We worship a God who loves to give. And he gives generously, over the top and in abundance. God gives us grace for blessing. He gives us wealth for blessing. I'm kind of going through our sermon series that we've done so far. He gives us power too, for blessing. Out of this abundance, God gives power to us for our own sake, but more importantly, for the blessing of others, actually. The way that God acted upon Timothy, investing him with power at the laying on of hands, he was set aside to carry the message of Christ, not just to himself, but to other people. Timothy was empowered to go into the world for the sake of others. Think about that. Fundamentally, the power in the kingdom of God is for the good of others, not to serve ourselves. Here's another thing about the power in the kingdom of God. It's also able to endure suffering, great suffering, in fact. Verse 8 and 9 make this super explicit. I want to read this for us again real quick. Verse 8 and 9 says this. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to, your, to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. When we, when we rely on God's power and not on our own, when we know that the source ultimately of the power that we have comes from God, it reorients the playing field for us. It's a different game altogether. Now we can depend on him even when we suffer. We, we can know, God, we know that you're in power and that you know what's going on and I trust you. The way that Paul writes in these letters of gratitude to Timothy while in prison should tell us what that looks like. He's not embarrassed. He says, Timothy, don't be embarrassed about this, about the power of God. When you face opposition of any kind, remember that you are empowered by God to participate with him for the good of others, for his purposes in the world. Not according to your agendas, not according to your work, but according to the divine purposes and grace of God. 
That's what this power is given for. The fact that ordination to the priesthood, or really to any holy orders, to, to the diaconate or the priesthood, um, cannot be grabbed by someone in the church is really great news, y'all. Ordination is something that people often sense a stirring in and go, oh, I think something's cooking. And they come around other people who maybe have been through it and go, do you see something cooking? And we say, yeah, something's cooking. And so we all gather together and we have these community efforts of discernment and prayer that actually help all of us to see, yeah, we see that God is actually calling you to something special. We want to set you aside. If a person barged into the church and said, I want to be in charge, I want to be a priest, what's awesome is that the people, the church actually get to say, no, no. You actually can't just barge into the church and grab for power. It doesn't actually work that way. And the good news for people who have been ordained, us poor souls in some ways, it is a great comfort because ministry is tough. It's super hard sometimes. People tell you things that really hurt, like things don't work sometimes. I have a buddy who just folded up a church plant that he's been working. It's hard. What's a great comfort when we go through these challenges is knowing that we are not the source of our own power and that we are not even the source of our own calling to this ministry, but that God gives us power and God has grabbed us by the scruff in the neck and said, you, I'm going to ordain you to this work. And I know that's just an example about ministry and holy orders, and you might think, well, that's like for clergy folks. But isn't it the same with you all? That in your baptism, you've been welcomed into the household of God claimed you don't get to decide that. The Lord said, you, I'm coming after you. You're mine. I'm going to pour out power, all the power you need in your life. I'm going to name you as one of my own. I'm going to invest you with power. I'm going to bless you, that you would be a blessing to others. Isn't that the same for when we come up to receive Holy Eucharist? These moments where God invests us with his presence and his goodness, transforming our souls, that we become the kinds of persons that use that power for the good of others. That should be a great comfort to us, knowing that we don't have to just stir this up within ourselves, but we can instead open ourselves to the gift of God. Receive his blessing and let it flow through us for the sake of other people. Are y'all tracking with me? This doesn't have to be something that we generate on our own. In fact, if we do, it's, it's like not that great, especially when you have available to you the power of God. That's the act of grace that God gives to us in giving us so freely his power, this heavenly power, invested in us. But we can so easily clog that up, resisting the way God wants to do things and preferring the way we like to do things. But I just want to encourage you all this morning, you don't need to resist God's power. Don't be afraid of it. Open yourself to it and receive it. Actually rely on it, count on it. And if it doesn't show up, y'all, pray about it. Say, Lord, you said you were going to hook me up. You said you were going to take care of me. You said you were going to provide. And guess what? When we come face to face with God in a confrontation like that, he's a big boy. He can handle your grumpiness. He can handle even a little bit of entitlement. He can handle your rough prayer life with him. To really rely on him for that power and grace would look like at times, as I have been, I mean, very timidly, actually, Lord, you said you were going to help. You said you were going to be here. Where are you? It can be a really scary kind of prayer to utter, right? But isn't it so honest? Isn't that a prayer of someone who really depends on God's power, on his showing up and being there for us? 
It's utterly brilliant when you see this kind of power operating in a person's life. It's breathtaking. It's, it's really beautiful. And it's life-giving even to witness it when you see it in people. We all know those people in our lives. But most clearly, we see this in the person of Christ, right? Paul talks about this in verse 10. Actually, this way of doing power, you don't have to guess about how this works. You look at Jesus, and there it is. It's been revealed to you. It's expressed in love. It's always exercised with self-control and with moderation. Jesus wasn't a pushover, right? But he also didn't avoid suffering. He relied so much on God's power that he obeyed the will of the Father. He was a perfect embodiment of what it looks like to trust and rely upon God's power, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was still obedient to the power of God. Even to the point of him saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? He still obeyed, even when he couldn't see, when he wasn't sure, when he felt the, the, the absence of God's presence. Jesus continued to obey God's power and his plan. And by enduring the cross, look what happened for us. By enduring the cross and relying on the power of God and not calling in Jesus' SWAT team or not busting some people up right there when they were harming him, look at what happened. You are here rescued by the grace of God because of his obedience to the power of God. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. So wouldn't it be insane then to resist that power of God now that that power of God has brought us into the household of God wouldn't it just be absolute lunacy to resist that and say thank you for all of what you've done but like I'm going to live my life a different way that doesn't make any sense in fact I'd argue I don't think you get what the power of God of God has done and what it has done already in your life to bring you into salvation the power of God has brought us here the power of God will continue to sustain us moving forward in our lives Look what the power of God has done in Christ. That for us is the paradigm of all paradigms. It's where we look to understand how this works. This power that raised Jesus from the dead on the third day is the same power that lives in you. You got problems? You got a really challenging situation at life or at work? Is it more powerful than raising someone from the dead? Could that cover it? Is that enough power to raise you from the dead, to raise Jesus from the dead? Is that enough power for your challenges, for the things you're facing, for the fears that you have, for the control you think you need, for the frustrations and the pains that you feel? Is that bigger than death? No, it isn't. I'm sure it's, and I don't mean to minimize what you all are going through. I know a lot of us are going through some really hard things. Power would be great. But I'm trying to tell you that the resurrection of the dead is greater than all of the obstacles that you face. And that power from the Father to raise the Son is the same power that now dwells in you to be exercised in the life that you're living right now. It's a power that doesn't need us to have everything kind of cleaned up in our lives, but is actually a power that is perfected in all of our mess. If you are weak... If you stink at certain things, if you like fly off and you're a jerk sometimes, guess what? The power of God will be perfected in that weakness. It will be amplified all the more and you will recognize that's not me. That's got to be the power of God because I know who I am. God is so eager to pour out his power in our lives, to cooperate with us, to not only bless us, but to be a blessing to others, for his power to flow through us to others. This morning... 
I want us to take a moment to open ourselves in this minute of prayer that we take, the silent reflection, to invite God's renovation in our lives. Lord, what are the fears and the motivations and the wounds that I carry around that make me the kind of person that would want to grab power or to hurt others with the power that I have or really just do whatever it takes to get things done? I want to open up all that mess this morning with you and say, Lord, would you pour out your grace upon us, make sense, make peace of that mess and bring healing? And make us a truly grateful people for the gifts that you give us. Transform us, Lord, by your power that it would flow through us for the sake of others. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.